The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. This is also Sanctity of Life Sunday, and uh, we at TBC, we believe the scriptures teach we're to value life in the womb, out of the womb, and uh, Hope Pregnancy Center is... Uh, organization, our community, that part of our mission support. And uh, I've had the privilege of being on their board as well as their uh, advisory board for many, many years. It's a great place to volunteer, a great place to give, and uh, we support Hope Pregnancy Center. We're grateful for the number of lives that have been spared through that ministry, and uh, we stand and support them as well. I'll also reiterate what was said about the men's conference. Um, if, how many of you guys have been to a TBC men's conference? Let me see your hand. Okay, the rest of you guys, you're missing a real treat. You can ask those guys whose hands went up. It's a great weekend away. Wives, you want to get rid of your husbands next weekend, send them to the men's conference. It's a great time, and uh, we'd love having you guys with us. We have about 300 men typically that show up. Matt Hurd is a speaker. He's a guy that I listen to on a regular basis. Uh, he's a pastor out at Woodsman Valley in Colorado Springs, now in Orlando, Florida at Northland Church. So a uh, great, great speaker. We're, we're privileged to have him come, and uh, it's a great opportunity to be together with a bunch of dudes. Come and see is our title for the entire series in the Gospel of John. And it comes from uh, John chapter 20 when uh, we're invited to come and see who Jesus is. And this morning, we're going to see that phrase repeated a couple of times in John chapter 1, verses 29 and following. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, would you open them and turn them on to John chapter 1? I've entitled this message, The End and the Beginning, The End and the Beginning, because it's the end of the ministry of John the Baptist and it's the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. So it's the end of John's ministry, John the Baptist, and it's the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Now, we did things a little differently this morning. We sang a couple of songs. I'm going to come up and preach, and uh, I'm going to do that for a few minutes, and it's a passage that lends itself to the Lord's table. And so we're going to share communion after. We're going to do it a little differently. If you grew up in a liturgical church, you know how this works. Uh, We're going to have folks stationed at that aisle, this aisle in the middle, this aisle and over there. And after I do this first section of God's word, we're going to look at it together. Uh, You're going to have the privilege to come up. You'll get a piece of matzah bread that's been broken up. Matzah bread is unleavened bread. It's also uh, bread that has stripes and holes in it. The stripes represent the stripes of our Savior on his back that he bore for us. The holes represent the holes, his hands, his side that he did for us. And we'll come first rows up as we go back, and uh, I'll explain it again in a few minutes because I may need to, okay? So uh, we'll do that. But we're, it's a different way. We're not used to doing that here. So if you're visiting with us, I'm Gary, one of the pastors here. It's good to have you with us, and uh, it's a different way for us to do things this morning. So John chapter 1, verse 29, we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter, just verse 29 right now. The next day, and by the way, if you look at the next day there, look at verse, if you write in your Bibles, underline the next day, verse 29, the next day, verse 35, the next day, verse 43. John gives us a chronology because John was there. So the author of the gospel is John. We're reading about John the Baptist. He's a totally different person. He's a prophet crying in the wilderness, speaking, proclaiming in the wilderness. So John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming up to him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this section of your word, I pray that you would teach us, you would instruct us, that our hearts and lives would be changed. I pray, Father, that as uh, we look at uh, our Savior, would you let him be made famous today? Would you allow him to be the one who's our focus? We pray in his name. Amen. 
What comes to your mind when you think of John the Baptist? First word comes to your mind when you think of John the Baptist. Turn to somebody and tell them. First word comes to your mind when you think of John the Baptist. Go ahead, you can talk. It's church, I know, but you can do that. Turn and tell somebody. First word comes to your mind when you think of John the Baptist. Okay? Now tell me, the first word comes, no, don't do that. I can't hear you anyway. John the Baptist, I mean, he's portrayed as this kind of guy, isn't he? I mean, this comes from all kinds of different movies, and uh, I mean, he's kind of a weird dude. Tim preached last week, and I'm grateful for that, and uh, I mean, he's got to be weird. I mean, what kind of guy wears a camel hair onesie in the wilderness all the time? (laughs) And then after that, he had a strange diet, wild honey and locusts. Now, I can understand the wild honey, because to get a locust down, you probably have to dip it in the wild honey, right? And so that's what he did. He was out there proclaiming, and people were coming. And Tim last week talked about the humility of John the Baptist, and we're going to see a little bit of that in today's passage. Because when John was preaching, folks were coming, but John's focus was not upon himself, it was upon Jesus. It was upon Jesus. And John was a man of great humility. We're going to see in a second because he told his disciples, don't follow me, you follow after him. And so when we think about John the Baptist, we think about the strange dude speaking in the wilderness, eating strange food, dressing weirdly, but one who was a tremendously humble man. And in verse 29, we read some simple words he uttered. He looked at Jesus and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We just sang a song. Words of that song came right out of there. We we sang that phrase over and over. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so what we see, John makes a statement. In that statement, it's, it's, it's loaded. Because if you were a Jewish person in that audience, and that audience was predominantly Jewish, When you heard those words, your mind raced to a singular event. When you heard, behold the Lamb of God, your mind raced to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 is Passover. Because that's what it said. And if you wanted to survive, I'll remind you of Passover as there were the nation of Israel was in bondage in Egypt. It was Moses' job to free the people. He was God's representative to Pharaoh. There were 10 plagues. They increased in their intensity. The final plague was Passover. The day of Passover, the Passover or death angel would pass over the homes of the Egyptians and the Israelites. And if the blood of the lamb, it says in Exodus chapter 12, it had to be the blood of an unblemished male lamb. And if the blood was on the doorpost of the house, then the eldest in that house would be spared. I'm the eldest in my family. I guarantee you, I would have been out there telling my daddy, make sure you put that blood on thick. But when the blood was placed there, the Passover angel would come and lives would be spared. That Passover lamb was a sacrifice and a substitute. It had to be sacrificed so the blood could be used. And it was a substitute. That lamb died so that the eldest person in that household could live. So when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming up and he said, behold, the lamb of God, all of a sudden, every mind there knew exactly what he's saying. John is talking about the Passover lamb. The Messiah, Jesus, the Christos, is the Passover lamb. Paul would spell that out very succinctly in, in, in his writings. Je- Paul would say this, John's message, we're going to talk about in a second, is that Jesus is both the sacrifice and the substitute. Jesus is the sacrifice and the substitute. That's exactly what the Passover lamb was. Passover lamb was sacrificed so the blood could be applied to the doorpost. He was, a, he was also the substitute. That is, the elders didn't have to die because the lamb did. Paul would write these words in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. He says, behold the lamb of God. Paul would write years later. He said, looking back, I can tell you that Jesus was the Passover lamb. 
He's been sacrificed for us. In fact, it goes on and says, Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us join the feast. Let's worship with him. Let's worship him. And so when John speaks these words, everybody in that audience knew what they meant. In fact, when he went on and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, uh, we see another section of God's word that refers to that same thing. It's called the suffering servant passage. It's found in Isaiah 53. And it says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he is the one who takes away all sin. In fact, in the next verse, why don't we read this together? Would you read with me? He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. All this prophesying who Messiah would be. This was written hundreds of years before Christ. And what we see in that passage in Isaiah is that he would become the one who would have the iniquity of the world laid upon him. The Lord has laid on him all the iniquity. John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, who takes away the sins of the world, the suffering servant. He weds together these two thoughts to say, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. In fact, we will read later in uh, Romans chapter 5. Paul would say, we have been justified by his blood. It's by the blood of Christ that we're justified. Now, when we read those words, we're very familiar with that. But when you think of people who aren't exposed to Christian thought, the concept of somebody's blood providing forgiveness is, is, is a foreign thought to them. But that's the reality of what we read in the scriptures. Scriptures say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. All the way back in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, You remember how they were covered? They were covered with what? An animal skin. So all the way back then, blood had to be shed to cover the sins of others. Ultimately, the blood of Christ is what we we are justified through and by. And so we accept forgiveness in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to become sin for us, that we in him might become the righteousness of God. So what we see is Christ became the perfect sacrifice. He is the sacrifice and the substitute, the sacrifice and the substitute. And because of that, we can have eternal hope and eternal life. And so John the Baptist's simple statement, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is freighted with meaning. Christ, the Passover Lamb. Christ, the one who will shed his blood for us. And all of this goes along, that's John the Baptist speaking. John the disciple is the author of the book, right? And all this goes along with what John is seeking to do. If you're with us two weeks ago when I was preaching, I gave you an overview of John. We looked at the first 18 verses, the the, the prelude to John, if you will. And and in that we said that, as we look at that, we, we saw that Christ was the one. He was the one who gave his life. He was the one who's prophesied of. He is the one who we know and become children through. And he is the one who we worship. And so we look at that section and we see that he is indeed the Lamb of God. We go to the next verse. As we go to the next verse, what we read about is him being greater and older. He is greater and older than John. Look at verse 30. John the Baptist says, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he has existed before me. Now, what is John the Baptist saying? After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. He's saying Jesus is greater than I am. And he existed before me. Now, 
if you study the scriptures before you're thinking, how can that be? How could Jesus exist before John the Baptist? Because remember when Mary got pregnant, we just went through the Christmas season, when Mary got pregnant, where did she go? She went to visit her cousin whom? Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's pregnant with whom? John the Baptist. John the Baptist is older, right? I mean, Elizabeth is already pregnant when Mary comes to her. And you remember that the, 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 there's a recognition of the baby in, in, her, in her womb. What John the Baptist is saying is, Christ is preeminent over me and he preexisted before me. It goes along with what we saw in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. We saw that Christ always has been and always will be. Always has been, always will be. John the Baptist is saying, hey, he's greater than I am. Don't follow me, follow him. That's a great admonition to any of us who lead ministries. Making sure we always point people to Jesus, not ourselves. Always saying he is the one to follow, not me. And that's what John the Baptist emulated and that's what he modeled. And then John the Baptist comes to a recognition of who Jesus is. He comes to a recognition of who Jesus is. He begins by saying, if you look at verse 31, he says, I didn't recognize him. If you look at verse 33, he says, I didn't recognize him. Well, they're cousins. Obviously, he's not talking about physical recognition. Most of us will recognize our cousins, right? I mean, we assume Mary and Elizabeth had to be close, and we assume that they spent some time together, John the Baptist and Jesus, over the 30 years before this scenario takes place. What he didn't recognize is exactly who he would be. And he says, then I saw, verse 32, the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him and I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water, he is the one who baptizes in the spirit. And John's conclusion after all this is now I see. Look at verse 34. Now I see. I've seen and I've borne witness that this man is a son of God. John the Baptist's conclusion is, I didn't recognize who he was, but now I do. This goes right along with the purpose of the book. Because John, the author of the book, spells out his purpose for us in John chapter 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. They're not recorded in this book. But these are written, the signs I've written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christos, the Messiah. The who? The Son of God. And when you look at what John the Baptist said, he says, now I see. And what I see, he says very clearly in verse 34, is this man is a son of God. Jesus, our sacrifice and substitute. Jesus, the one who is greater. Jesus, the one who is older. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus was your substitute and sacrifice. He gave his life for you. Our focus should be upon him. Back in the 1990s and 1994, there was a tremendous earthquake that hit Soviet Armenia. Over 55,000 people lost their lives in that earthquake. There's a story about a young girl named Petra. She was 10 years old at that time. She was in a building with her mom visiting her aunt. And when the building collapsed, it was a nine-story building. They were on the fifth floor. They were trapped in the rubble. The first day, her aunt died. It was just she and her mom. Her mom's legs were trapped. She couldn't move. They were in a crawl space of only about 12 inches. Concrete above, concrete below. She became very thirsty after the first day and she began to cry and the mom was able to reach over and find a jar of jam. And for the next two days, they would very carefully each take a lick out of the jam jar until it was gone. 
Three days have gone by. They can hear rescuers, but they're not rescued, obviously, yet. Four days go by. Petra's crying over to her, Mom, I'm thirsty, Mom, I'm thirsty, Mom, I'm thirsty. The mom remembered a story. She had watched a documentary on Soviet television about a man up in Siberia who survived. He, he had lost his way. He couldn't find anything to drink. And he actually survived by cutting his fingers and drinking his own blood. And so what this mom did for her daughter is she found a shard of glass and reached over and she pricked one finger and let her daughter suck the blood that gave her life. And then another finger, another finger, and another finger. Eventually the mom succumbed, but the daughter was rescued. The blood of the mom gave life to the daughter. The blood of the Savior gives life to us. Jesus, your sacrifice, and Jesus, your substitute. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. We're going to do it a little differently. As we celebrate the Lord's table, I want you to remember the one who is your substitute, the one who's your sacrifice. So as you come, we'll come by rows. We'll start with the front rows and come. You can come to that section, divide up some over here. We have folks in each aisle. And they're going to hold a chalice. You can dip the bread in the chalice. You can take right there. You can go back to your seat if you desire. And you can reflect upon who Christ is. Worship team's going to be singing. We're going to be standing. We're going to join them in song. And as we partake of the Lord's table, I want to invite you to remember Jesus, your substitute and your sacrifice. I'm going to pray. The folks will dispense the elements. We'll grab them over there. And then we'll partake together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the sacrifice of the Savior who gave his life. We thank you that he was our substitute. And every day we thank you for the fact that we have eternal hope and eternal life because of him. So as we finish up John chapter 1, the rest of that chapter, what we find is that Jesus issues an invitation. He issues an invitation for people to follow him. They're called disciples. They're learners, disciples and learners. Jesus, the master, uh, issues this invitation and they come to follow him. Andrew and Peter, the first ones given the invitation, and uh, it's a come and see invitation as we've seen in the gospel. So in verse 35, it says, again, the next day, John, that's the Baptist, was standing between two with two disciples. And he looked and he saw Jesus. This is the next day. And he issues that same statement, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said, what do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, that's teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. If you write your Bibles, underline in verse 39, come and you will see. It's Jesus' invitation. It's the invitation of the entire gospel. It's the invitation of our Savior. Come and see and you'll know who I am. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So one of the things that happens here is there's no identification of the second disciple, and that's significant in John's gospel. It says one of the two that were sent to follow Jesus or wanted to follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Who was the other guy? Well, interestingly enough, in the gospel of John, John the author, this isn't John the Baptist, John the author, he never once mentions himself. He calls himself the one loved by Jesus or the beloved apostle. And so I'm assuming, because he doesn't mention who the other one is, it's himself he's talking about. But anyway, we see that Andrew comes to Jesus. The invitation is followed, and uh, they went to see where Jesus was staying. And the scriptures tell us that uh, they went there. It was about the 12th hour, and they stayed with Jesus. And uh, then it tells us that they followed him. But Andrew does something significant. 
If you look at verse 41, Andrew found first. The word found occurs five times between verses 35 and the end of the chapter. Over and over, we have people finding Jesus. Here it is, Andrew. Andrew says, hey, I'm going to continue on, but I got something to do first. I got to go find my bro. I I, go find Peter, my brother. And and he said, I've got to go tell him what's happened here. So he went and he found first Peter, actually Simon. And he said to him, Peter, we found the Messiah. You think that's how he said it? I mean, how do you think, can you imagine what Andrew sounded like? I, I mean, it had to be crazy. I mean, he's screaming, how Peter, or it's not Peter, I didn't name that, it, 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 it's Simon, Simon, you can't believe who we found. We found the Messiah, you've got to come, you can hear Simon's voice and see the gleam in his eyes and say, you've got to come, bro, because we have found the Christos, we have found the Messiah, you've got to come. And so he brought him to Jesus, significant that Andrew brought Peter, his brother, to Jesus. And he looked at him, and Jesus changes his name immediately, gives him a nickname. Peter walks up and Jesus says, Hey, rock. He didn't exactly say it that way, but pretty close. He says, uh, hey, you are Simon, the son of John. From now on, you're called rock. You're the rock. You know, when we first read that, we're thinking, really, Peter? This guy who's like an emotional roller coaster all the time? He's going to be the rock? He will. Jesus can look at a person and know what he'll become. It's significant to give names to folks in the scriptures. We've, we've got Abraham, father of many nations. We've got Isaac, son of laughter. We've got Barnabas, son of encouragement. And Jesus says, you are the rock, Peter. Later on, Peter would say, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus would say, upon that confession, I will build my church. And Peter, even though he would deny Christ three times, he'd be restored to Christ at the end of this book. In John chapter 21, he'd be restored to the Savior and he became the rock. And he is the one who in Acts chapter 2 preaches a message and 3,000 people get saved and they all get baptized and he becomes the rock of the first century church. And he walks up with his brother Andrew and Jesus says, hey, you're the rock. Let's talk about Andrew for a second. We don't know a whole lot about Andrew. We know some, mostly we know he's Peter's brother, but there are two other episodes in John where Andrew is specifically mentioned. And it's quite interesting. Here he brings his brother to Jesus. A little later in John's gospel, there's a large crowd of 5,000 gathered. And uh, you remember what happens there. There's no food to feed them. And and they said, Jesus, the time's getting late. You've got to send these folks away. And Jesus says, no, have them sit down. And they divided up the scriptures, say, in 50s and 100s. And uh, do you remember what happened? Remember how they got dinner? What was it? Little boy, remember what he had? What did he have? He had some fish and chips, right? Some some bread and and some fish. And how'd they get that lunch? Who brought that little boy to Jesus? Well, you can guess now, can't you? Because I've given you a lot of clues. Who brought that little boy to Jesus? You can answer right in church right now. Who brought that boy to Jesus? Andrew did. Andrew did. Now, we, in my mind, I wonder, they had already seen water turn to wine. I'm wondering if Andrew expected Jesus to do something with that bread and fish. I don't know. The scriptures don't tell us, but it certainly happened. But Andrew brought his brother, John, his brother uh, Peter to Jesus. He brought this little boy, stole his sack lunch and brought it to Jesus. <laughs> And then later on in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 11, there are some Greek guys and they want to know who Jesus is. And guess who brings them to Jesus? Andrew does. Three times in John's Gospel, Andrew brings his brother, he brings a little boy, and he brings some Greek dudes to Jesus. 
Andrew's always bringing people to Jesus. I wrote in my notes, Gary, you and Andrew, wouldn't it be neat if Temple Bible Church was known as a church where we brought people to Jesus? Ask your folks, are they Andrews? You and Andrew, you bring people to Jesus? Maybe you bring them here to hear the gospel. When's the last time you invited somebody to join you here? Maybe it's a small group you're part of. Maybe it's Sea Life. Maybe it's uh, the, the young adults. Maybe it's uh, next time we have baptism. It's a celebration. You invite your friends to see what the body of Christ looks like. In the summer, we're going to have backyard Bible school impact. Maybe you invite kids in your neighborhood. Do you bring people to Jesus? Years ago, the Billy Graham organization, when Billy Graham was doing crusades in all the different cities in our nation, they had something called Operation Andrew. So when, before the crusade came to town, they would gather up all the leaders from local churches that desired to participate, and they would have a meeting, and you became part of Operation Andrew. Operation Andrew is to have your folks bring unsafe folks to meet Jesus. Isn't that pretty cool? To have an operation like that named after you. One day we'll meet Andrew in heaven and say, hey man, I'm grateful you were always bringing folks to Jesus. What about you? Bringing folks to Jesus? I've told you a story before. There's a little girl, her mom, mom and dad occasionally dropped her off at church, not often, but once in a while. She had a really good friend whose mom and dad were believers, and whenever she spent the weekend nights there, they went to church together. And through the influence of that uh, godly family, that at age 12, she came to know Christ because her neighbors were bringing, or her friends were bringing her to Jesus. I'm grateful that happened because she became my wife. That little girl, whose mom and dad didn't go with her, would drop her off, but a godly friend and family would take her. What about you? Who's that little girl in your neighborhood, in your life, that little boy? Who are those kids on your kid's soccer team that nobody's taking them? What about your grandkids? Maybe your kids don't come. You can pick up your grandkids and bring them. Always bringing people to Jesus. That's Andrew. So the invitations are extended to Andrew and to Peter, and uh, Peter comes, and the next thing that happens is, it's the next day, verse 43, he purposed to go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip. There's our word found. And so the next thing we see is Philip and Nathaniel receive an invitation to come and see. He says, follow me. Follow me, come and see, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. And Nathanael immediately said, we all know what it says. What's Nathanael say? Can any good thing come out of, I use Buckholz all the time on that. My apologies to my friends from Buckholz. So. Uh, the Sanders over here came from Buckholz. He's the head of our deacons right now. So can any good thing come out of Buckholz? I mean, can anything good thing come out of Nazareth? Why did Nathaniel say that? Do you have any idea why he said that? When Micah the prophet foretold where the Messiah would come from, he said uh, Messiah would be born where? We sing it all the time at Christmas, a little town of what? Bethlehem. But Philip comes and says, hey, we found the Messiah came from Nazareth. You know how many times Nazareth is mentioned in the Old Testament? You want to start Googling? Go fast. How many times is Nazareth is in the Old Testament? Can you guess how many? Never. Never. Not one time. 
So when Nathaniel hears the Messiah has come from Nazareth, he says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It wasn't a bad thing to ask because no, nobody foretold that Messiah would be anything from Nazareth or anybody come from there. And so Jesus turns to him as he's coming and he said, oh, we've got an Israelite. There's no guile in him. There's no deceit in him. And, and all of a sudden, Nathaniel recognized that Jesus could see things he couldn't see. And he said, how do you know me? You've never met me. Verse 48. And Jesus said, hey, Philip called you when you were under the fig tree. I saw you. And Nathaniel realized that he'd exercise omniscience. He was all knowing. And Nathaniel, who was this unbeliever, becomes a believer and says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. Not exactly what he said, but close. Look at what he says. Because I saw you in the fig tree, you believe? Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than this. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you should see the heavens open, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, when you hear angels ascending and descending... Does that remind you of something? Old Testament. Who was it? Jacob. Jacob. It reminds you of Jacob's ladder. When we were kids, we all sang about Jacob's ladder. You remember that? Jacob's ladder. Angels ascending and descending. And so he says, Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. But, and then he goes on and says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending where? What's it say in your Bible? Angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He says, Nathaniel you're going to see the ladder to heaven, and it's me. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on me. Later on, Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying, Nathaniel, I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I am the bridge between God and man. I am the bridge between, between eternal and temporal. Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. But you're going to see me, the son of man, the Messiah, bridge the chasm that has always existed because of who I am. So there's an invitation, Philip and Nathaniel. Now, what's interesting, and I'll conclude with this, when you read the Synoptic Gospels, you were with us two weeks ago, I explained the Synoptic Gospels or Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Remember, we use the word synonym, so it means like optics to see, so they look alike, they see alike. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. John looks differently. The whole book is a little different, about 70 to 80% of John's Gospels different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And one of the ways it's different is the focus. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is the call of the disciples, Right? You see the disciples being called to follow Jesus. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke and the call of the disciples, the emphasis is upon their immediate obedience. The, the scriptures say they put down their nets and followed after Jesus. You remember that? Oh, it, it talks about disciples. They, they followed after him. And, and it's with amazement that Matthew, Mark, and Luke write about the immediate obedience of the disciples. They immediately followed after Jesus. John's focus is different. If you look at John's focus... His focus is upon the obedience of disciples. His focus has to do with his purpose. John wrote these books in order that his books so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so the focus, the spotlight shines on Jesus in John chapter 1. In verse 29, 
Jesus is called the Lamb of God. In verse 41, Andrew calls him the Messiah. In verse 45, Philip said he's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, that he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. And then Nathanael says he is the Son of God and the King of Israel in verse 49. And Jesus himself says, I am the ladder that connects the temporal to the eternity, uh, the temporal to eternal, the, heaven to, the heavens to earth, the Father to you. And the focus on John's gospel is Jesus. So, the invitation of Jesus extended to you, my friends, to come and see. Come and see who I am. And once you know who I am, follow me. So, two questions. Have you looked at Jesus? Have you come and seen him? If you see him and know him, are you following after him? The focus is Jesus. There's a story, I'm sure it's uh, mythological, but it's a great story. It has to do when Cyrus was the king of the Persian Empire. As he was expanding his kingdom, he came to a village that uh, his army conquered. And they brought in the prince of that village and his family to Cyrus. And Cyrus looked at the young prince and his beautiful wife and his family and he looked at the young prince and the monarch asked the prisoner, he said, what will, what, what will you give to me if I release you? He said, I will give you the half of my wealth. And what will you give me if I release your children? Your majesty, I'll give you everything I possess. And what will you give me if I release your wife? Your majesty, I will give my life. Cyrus is so moved with the commitment of the young prince to his wife and his children, his family that he told them they could go free and return home and they could live under his reign. On the way home, with a look of deep love for his wife, he looked at her and said, wasn't Cyrus a handsome man? And his wife looked at him and with admiration and great love. She said, I didn't notice Cyrus. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself for me. And that's what the author of Hebrews means when he says to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus, the King of Israel. Lord Jesus, we worship you this day. Our hearts are focused on you. The one who is willing to die for us. Our substitute in our sacrifice. The invitation of Jesus awaits your response this morning, my friends. He says, come and see. Come and see who I am. Have you responded to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and trusted him for eternal life? And if you have, are you a disciple following him? Father, help us to be Andrews who bring others to Jesus Help us to be disciples who are faithful before you. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Lord bless you.